Okay, last week was Resurrection Sunday. We had a great day of worship. It was an awesome time. Uh, we had a baptism after church. You may have missed that, but uh, we had a baptism, uh, and uh, it was very exciting. Uh, we had a, a great turnout. We had a, a two worship services. Uh, we had a morning, an early service and a, and a later service, and it was, it was great. I love Resurrection Sunday. I love Easter Sunday and, and uh, talking about how Jesus uh, was raised from the dead, just like he said he would be, that God raised him from the dead on the third day, just as he, just as he said he would. That Jesus died on the cross, he suffered for our sins, and so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have the free gift of eternal life that comes by God's grace. And that's exactly what happened. Jesus suffered on the cross, died for our sins, and he was raised on the third day. And you know what? The, the fact is, is that we are all sinners. You know it, I know it, we all know it. We, we are all too well aware of our weaknesses, of our sins, of our failures. We know what we've done. God knows what we've done. He's not surprised. And he loves us anyway. And he washes our sins away. Though we sin against him time and again. Because he sent his son Jesus, out of his great love for us, he washes our sins away. What a wonderful gift. What, a, what an amazing blessing. We don't, we don't deserve to go to heaven. We don't deserve to have our sins forgiven. But God... Two of my favorite words in Scripture, but God, in His great love and in His wonderful mercy and in His amazing grace, forgives us time and again. I don't know about you, but those are the most wonderful words that I can say, and I pray that they're the most wonderful words you can hear, that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. Whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. Amen to that. In Romans chapter 10, verses 13 and 14, Paul wrote that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then we get to verse 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Do you see a problem? Everyone needs to hear the gospel. Everyone needs to hear about God's love. Everyone needs to hear that Jesus died for their sins. But how can they hear if somebody doesn't tell them? How can they hear unless somebody explains it to them, unless somebody shares with them the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ? How? Someone has to tell the world about Jesus. Someone has to tell the world about God's love and about the cross and about how Jesus suffered and died for our sins. Somebody has to do it. And as Christians, as followers of Christ, that is what we are called to do. To tell the world that Jesus loves them. To tell the world that Jesus died for them. To tell the world that God loves them. This is what we are called to do, each and every one of us. We have a biblical mandate. Jesus gave this responsibility to his followers. Today we are focusing on what happened after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Today we are talking about 
what happened after Easter when Jesus appeared to his disciples, when Jesus appeared to his followers. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. So if you have a Bible, if you could turn to Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we are talking about making disciples today. What it means to make disciples. Now this coming Friday night is vision night and we want everyone to come out for vision night. We're going to have soup and chili from five to six and then at six o'clock we're going to come in here and uh, we're going to have a presentation about the new vision uh, that the uh, leaders of our church uh, have embraced. That God has an amazing vision, uh, a bright future for his church here in Griffith And, and we really want you to come and check it out to hear about the the plan the vision that god has for us we're not going to get into a lot of specifics of what it's going to look like but rather we're going to talk about the biblical mandate that god has given us to make disciples today's a little preview of what friday night is going to be about so this morning we're just going to do kind of a brief overview and a brief preview of what vision night is going to be about we'll get into a lot of um not a lot of details, but more detail as far as what it's going to look like for our church on Friday night. But today, we're just going to talk about the, why we're doing this and why we do what we do and what Jesus has called us as his followers, as his disciples, what Jesus has called us to do. Um, next week, we're going to return to basic. We're going to go to, uh, basic part two as we look at Second Peter, and we'll do that for four weeks. And then we're going to have Mother's Day, and then we're going to have a little series I'm calling Words with Friends, and that's going to go from Mother's after Mother's Day to up to Father's Day, and then I'm going to take a vacation and uh, go out of town, So, but that's like eight weeks away. But uh, And then we're going to come back, and we're going to rock through the rest of the summer, and I do mean we are going to rock through the summer uh, starting after Father's Day. So uh, that's where we're going in the next several weeks. But if you can grab a Bible, or if you have not grabbed one yet, grab a Bible. Turn to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And we're going to look at this passage of Scripture. Um, have your HDO ready. That's on the back of your bulletin, the HDO. And uh, we're going to fill in some blanks in just a few moments. But I want to read from Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And I'm going to read first out of the New International Version, and then I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. Verse 18 of Matthew 28. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Um, I want to read it... uh, out of the New Living Translation in just a minute. But to me, the most important thing in this passage is not what we're called to do, but it's the very first thing that Jesus says. He says what? All authority has been given to me. In heaven and on earth, all authority has been given to me, Jesus said. This is important because it means that everything that Jesus says, we do. Because he has all authority. Now, let me read out of the New Living Translation. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
Do you see a little word there used three times? What word is that? All. Say it a little bit louder like you mean it. All. All, all authority, all nations, all commandments. Jesus said all authority had been given to him when he was raised from the dead. God the Father gave him all authority. And he said to make disciples of how many nations? All the nations. Teaching them to obey how many of his commandments? All of his commandments. Okay. All right. So if Jesus has all the authority... If Jesus has all the authority and he tells us to make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to obey all of his commandments, what does that mean for us? What does all mean? It means everything. Absolutely everything. There are no exceptions. There are no ifs, no ands, no buts. It's all. Everything. And he is with us always. Even to the very end of the age. What Jesus says goes. We do what Jesus says to do because he is the one who has all authority. I love what Philippians chapter 2 verses 6 through 11 says about Jesus. It says that he is, uh, Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Then at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, all knees should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess, all tongues confess, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What Jesus says goes because he has been given all authority. He is God. He is God and he has been exalted to the highest place. He is in charge. Jesus is number one. He rules. He is God and that means we obey him. You know, sometimes we, we, we kind of diminish God in our minds and in our in our lives, we, we make God too small, and God becomes like our heavenly teddy bear or our heavenly buddy. You know, it's like, hey, I'm hanging with Jesus. No, you're not. Okay, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God Almighty. Okay? Yes, he is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, but he is also our Lord. We like the Savior part. We like the fact that Jesus is our Savior, that he died on the cross for our sins. Thank you for that. I was watching... A late night talk show this week and the comedian Russell Brand was on I don't know if you know who Russell Brand is or not but he's, he's a British comedian actor and he comes on and uh, the talk show host is asking him about uh, what he did for Easter this is on Monday he's asking what, you know what did you do for Easter and he said he was hanging out with his godchildren and the host interrupted and said you have godchildren and he's like, yeah, I'm kind of a spiritual guy. He's like, you know, I, I really appreciate what Jesus did for us, how he died on the cross for all, the, all of that. And I thought it was really nice that he died for our sins and everything. And I, I, my mind is just blown. And it's like, sometimes I think we have the attitude of, oh, yeah, we like Jesus. And, and we're so glad that he did these things for us. 
But when it comes to the expectations that he has for our lives, when it comes to the expectations of serving him, of following him, of making him the Lord of our lives, we like the friend part of Jesus, we like the Savior part of Jesus, but the Lord part, well, we don't like that as much. What do you mean Lord? Define Lord. Define Master. Define God. Well, he's God. He is God. And when, he, when we say that he is God, it means we follow him, we obey him, we serve him. He is in charge. We do what he says to do. Grab your bulletin, turn to the back page of the, of the bulletin, and you'll find the HDO, the handy-dandy outline. We're going to fill in some blanks real quick. The first blank on your outline is Jesus said to make disciples Jesus said to make disciples. Now, what is a disciple? A disciple is a fully surrendered, fully devoted, sold-out follower of Jesus Christ. A disciple is literally a follower. In in Jesus' day, if you were a rabbi, you would uh, call you would have people apply to be your disciples. So let's say I was a rabbi and Brandon wanted to be my disciple. Brandon would come to me and he would apply to be my disciple. And I would interrogate him. I would investigate his past. I would find out what, who he had gone to school with, uh, how well he did in school. I would literally be interviewing him and, trying to, and I would have to hire him to be my uh, disciple, to be my uh, kind of like an apprentice. And he would come to me and ask if he could do that. And after investigation, interrogation, I would say, you're right, sure. Yeah, you want to be my disciple? I don't think so. I can say that because he's my best friend. But, but that's how you became a disciple of a rabbi. You would apply to be a disciple. Jesus, on the other hand, does something completely different when it comes to his disciples. What does he do? He goes to them and calls them to be his disciples. Nobody has to apply. Nobody, no, there's no interrogation. There's no investigation. Jesus calls the disciples, the 12 disciples, to be his followers. He turns the whole thing upside down. So a, a disciple of Jesus, when we are called to be a disciple, we are called to leave everything, to drop everything for Jesus, to become fully surrendered, fully devoted, sold-out followers of Christ. In uh, Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. This is when Jesus called his first disciples. Let me read this for you. Matthew 4, 18 through 22. says, As Jesus walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. They left everything. They chose to leave everything behind in order to follow Jesus Christ. Peter confirms this in Matthew chapter 19 verse 27. He says to Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. They have left everything to follow you. Jesus. They chose to leave everything behind because that's what a disciple does. A follower of Jesus says, I got nothing. I have nothing without you. I have nothing apart from Christ. Everything else, every pursuit of this world 
is meaningless. In our men's Bible study yesterday, we talked about the book of Ecclesiastes. And we talked about how Solomon tried everything. He tried to fill his life with pleasure and women and, and um, wine and uh, food and work. And, he, and he, he came to the conclusion that it was all meaningless. It was all worthless. It was all futile, just a futile pursuit. And it meant nothing in the end. And in, in fact, in Ecclesiastes 2.17, he says, I hated my life. I tried to fill it with all this stuff and the things of this world, and I hated my life. I know a lot of people who hate their lives. It's because they can't find the one thing that they truly desire, and that is satisfaction that can only come from following Jesus. That's the only place it can come from, is from following Christ. And so we are called by God, by Jesus, who has all authority. He calls us to do what? To make disciples. And we've said that a disciple is someone who is a fully surrendered, fully sold out, fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And we are called to make people what we are. We are called to be disciples, and we are called to make disciples. So how do we do that? How do we make disciples? Well, Jesus said to go. Go and make disciples of all nations. Go. The Greek construction of that, of that word go, it's a participle. It means going. And what it literally means is, is not to go. Because we hear that word, you know, go and make disciples. We think of missionaries, right? Okay, you go overseas somewhere and uh, minister to the people uh, in Europe or Asia or Africa or South America. You can go and do that. I don't feel called to do that, so I'm excused from the Great Commission. Eh, sorry, you're not excused from the Great Commission. Because what it literally means, Jesus said, while you are going, make disciples of all nations. So it's while you are going. In other words, wherever you go, whatever you're doing, you are to be making disciples. So while you are going to work, while you are going to school, while you are going to uh, the movies, while you are going to dinner, while you are going to the grocery store, while you are going anywhere, you are to be making disciples of all nations. Does that make sense? So it's not about getting up and selling everything you've got in your house and selling your house and moving to a foreign country and making disciples there. It's about wherever you are and whatever you're doing, making disciples now. That's what we are called to do, is to make disciples. We are all missionaries. We all have a mission. We all have a mission field. Your first mission field is in your home. It is your spouse, it is your kids, it is your brothers, it is your sisters, it is your parents, it is your grandchildren. That is our first mission field. It's the people with whom we live. That is our first mission field. Your second mission field is wherever you go to work or school. That is your second mission field. But we all have a mission field. People, your neighbors are your mission field. Your co-workers are your mission field. Your classmates are your mission field. Your relatives, your friends, anybody within your sphere of influence is your mission field. And if those people don't know Jesus, God is calling you to make disciples and to be a missionary to those folks. I have a mission field. You have a mission field. We are all missionaries. 
to family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, whoever, everybody needs to hear about Jesus. We are to go into all the world, not just a foreign country. It's about everybody, everywhere. As we go about our daily lives, making disciples of all nations. We are to replicate ourselves. Now, how do we do that? Two things that we do. Jesus says, make disciples of all nations. What's the first one? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Second is teaching them to obey all that he has commanded. So the first thing we do is we baptize. We tell people about Jesus. They put their faith and trust in him. They believe that he is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for their sins. They repent. They turn away from sin. I'm not turning towards sin anymore. I'm turning away from sin. I'm turning to God for forgiveness. They confess with their mouth. And they believe in their heart, they confess with their mouths, and they are saved. And then they get baptized for the forgiveness of their sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we, we baptize them, and then we teach them. We teach them to obey everything that God has commanded us, everything that Jesus has commanded us. So that's what we do. We baptize and we teach. That's what the process of making a disciple is all about from Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Now the second blank on your outline is that we, Jesus said to make more disciples. We are to make disciples of all nations. Everyone, everywhere needs to be a disciple of Jesus. Every man, woman, and child on planet earth needs to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. A sold out, devoted relationship with Jesus. The job is not done until everyone hears. The job is not done until everyone hears. Everyone, period. That's it. And some people, well, all, all you care about is numbers. You're too focused on numbers. I want to I throw some scripture at you real quick. This is from the book of Acts. Okay? In the book of Acts, 13 passages of scripture. Right, Sean, are you serious? 13 pa- you're going to read 13 passages of scripture? Yes, I am. Acts 2.41, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Acts 2.47, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Acts 4.4, many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. Acts 5.14, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Acts 6.1, the number of disciples was increasing. Acts 6.7, so the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Acts 11.21, the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Acts 11.24, a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Acts 14.1, there, there they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. Acts 14.21, they preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. <gasps> Acts 17.4, some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. Acts 17.12, many of the Jews believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. That's 12, 13. Acts 17.34, a few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. 13 times in the book of Acts, the word number is used to refer to new believers in Jesus. 13 times talks about the number of of disciples increasing. So you may say, well, all you care about is numbers. And I'll tell you why I care about numbers. Because God cares about numbers. 
Because God knows what those numbers represent. Those numbers represent what? People. Souls. That when a person comes to faith in Christ, they become part of the number. When the saints go marching in, I want to be part of that number. They're going to heaven. What do those numbers represent? Those numbers represent people who are going to heaven. Those numbers represent people who are not going to hell. You see, that's what's on the line here, okay? That's what's in the balance. It's heaven and hell. And it's, it's real, okay? It's, it's literal. It's serious. It's nothing that we can wink at. It's nothing we can say, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, maybe not. Maybe it won't happen. No, heaven and hell is what is in the balance, And real people go to heaven, and real people go to hell. And people who don't know Jesus don't go to heaven. It's that simple. That's what the Bible tells us, that there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved other than the name of Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through who? Me. Except through him. No one comes to the Father. Where's the Father? And you can't get there without Jesus. That's what's in the balance. That's why this is important. That's why numbers are important because those numbers represent souls and lives and, and spending eternity with God. So the first step is we baptize them. We share the good news with them. We tell them about how Jesus died for their sins and how they need to repent, uh, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus told us to do this. If you want to argue with him, good luck. Remember, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. So we follow what Jesus says. We do What the Lord says, as a church and as disciples of Jesus, this is what we do. The last blank on your outline. You see, once we baptize, we're supposed to teach. The third blank on your outline is Jesus said to make better disciples. So we're going to make more disciples by teaching them the good news and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to teach them some more. We're going to make better disciples. That's the second part of our vision, to teach everyone to obey how much? All that he has commanded us. Everything that he taught about loving God and loving others and spreading the gospel, that thing that we do every week, it's not just lip service. It's what we're supposed to be doing, to teaching people, teaching people how to love God, love others, and spread the gospel. We teach new believers about God's Son and God's Word. And you know what? I'll I'll be honest. We do pretty good at the first part. We do pretty good about telling people that they need to be saved and how to be saved. and, and, And we do a good job baptizing people. We do a lousy job at the second part. I'll be honest. We do a lousy job at the second part of discipling people and helping them grow in their faith. And helping them become fully surrendered, fully devoted, sold out followers of Jesus. And we need to do better. That's part of the vision. To do better at making better disciples. Disciples. We have got to do better. So one of the major focuses, one of the things that we're going to change about our church is our focus on making better disciples, on discipling people. Because true believers, true disciples of Jesus don't just sit in a pew for an hour and then forget about him the rest of the week. 
True disciples seek to learn and to grow in their faith. A true disciple reads his or her Bible. A true disciple prays on a regular basis. A true disciple gives of their time and of their talent and of their treasure. A true disciple doesn't just keep the faith. A true disciple gives it away. We're not about just dunking people and leaving them to their own devices. No, that's not what we're supposed to do. We are going to make disciples by baptizing them and teaching them to be fully surrendered, fully devoted, sold out followers of Jesus Christ. That is the vision that we have, that the elders have, that the leadership of our church has. That's the vision that I have to make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. Have you ever heard of a BHAG? <laughs> it sounds disgusting, right? What in the world is a BHAG? It comes from, uh, it's, it's B-H-A-G, and it comes from a book written by Jim Collins and Jerry Porras, and uh, it's a book called Built to Last, and it's a, bo- it's a business book, and it's a, but it can be applied to organizations as well, and the B-H-A-G, the B-H-A-G, is the Big, Hairy, Audacious Goal. The Big, Hairy, Audacious Goal, the B-H-A-G, and I want to talk about B-H-A-G for just a second here. This is, what it, this is what the definition of a BHAG is. It is an audacious 10 to 30 year goal to progress, uh, to progress towards an envisioned future. Let me say that one more time. A BHAG is an audacious 10 to 30 year goal to progress towards an envisioned future. The Great Commission that we just talked about in Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 through 20 is a BHAG. But it's not a big, hairy, audacious goal. It's a big, holy, audacious goal. That is what God is calling us to do. This is the biggest BHAG ever. To change the world by making disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that Christ has commanded. And we're called to baptize and teach everybody. And you may think to yourselves, well, that'll never happen. No! No more negative thinking. No more, well, we'll never do that. No more, that's impossible. Because if it weren't possible, Jesus wouldn't have sent to do it. Jesus sent to do it, and with God, all things are possible. There is nothing that is impossible for God. And so we are going to do everything that we can within the power that God gives us and the strength that God gives us to make disciples of all nations. We're going to do that by continuing to support missions around the world. We're going to do that here in our own church. We're going to teach people how to make disciples, how to share their faith. We're going to teach people in Bible studies how to grow in their faith and become more like Jesus, to become fully surrendered, fully devoted, fully sold out followers of Jesus Christ. This is what we are called to do. And so we're going to make more disciples. We're going to reach out to people who don't know Jesus, and we're going to introduce them to Christ. We're going to make better disciples. If you know Jesus, you need to know Jesus better. We all need to know Jesus better. And so we're going to teach people, and we're going to teach people how to know him better and to follow him more closely. My first challenge for you today is to come to Vision Night. This coming Friday night, 6 o'clock p.m. You're thinking, oh, not on a Friday night. If you love Jesus, you'll be here. It's one Friday night. You've got 51 more. But we want you to come to vision night friday night six o'clock we'll elaborate more on what all this looks like and what we're going to be doing jesus gave his vision the great commission he gave it to 11 disciples to 11 disciples you know what nearly two thousand years later there are two billion people around the world who claim the name of christ from 11 to two billion 
But you know what that two billion means? It means there's five and a half billion more who don't know Jesus. That's a big mission field. And we got to do something about it. And it starts here and it starts now. You know someone. And I know somebody. We know someone who needs to hear about Jesus. We're going to pray in just a second. What I want you to do is I'm going to be quiet for 30 seconds. And for 30 seconds, I want you to think of that person. I want you to pray for them. I want you to pray specifically for that person that you would have an opportunity to tell them about Jesus this week. Or an opportunity to invite them to come hear about Jesus this week. So I'm going to be quiet for 30 seconds. I know it's hard to believe. But I'm going to be quiet for 30 seconds. And I want you to just silently pray for that person. You can pray for them out loud if you want to. It's up to you. People might look at you strange, but it doesn't matter what they think. I want you to pray for that person for 30 seconds. Pray for an opportunity to tell them about Jesus or to invite them to come hear about Jesus. And then I'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, there are people on our hearts and people on our minds, people who don't know Jesus. And apart from him, they have no hope. They have no hope of eternity apart from him. So today I pray for those folks that have been lifted up to you in this place. You've heard our prayers. You've heard our cries. You know that the people uh, that are on our hearts need to hear about Christ. And so I pray that today you would begin the process of using us in their lives to share with them the good news of Jesus, how he died for our sins. Or we'll have an opportunity this week just to share with them a little bit about our faith. We'll have an opportunity to invite them to come and hear about Jesus here at GFCC. I thank you for the Great Commission, for this incredible vision that can change the world. And I pray that you would use us to do just that. So God, I ask that you would prepare the ground, that you would prepare the mission field, Prepare us to share with those who need to hear the good news about Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen.